Hello and welcome to episode 174 of What Most People Think. And we are the World Cup. The World Cup has started. And, you know, like all football fans, I'm really glad that we, uh, we're, we're in deep discussing uh, the death of migrant workers, you know, international corrupt trade deals between Qatar and other country, LGBT rights. I mean, it's just, it's just great to get back to the football, isn't it? But uh, we will be speaking about that. Uh, later in the show because I've got a brilliant guest this week returning to the show is uh, Al Murray the pub landlord he's also Al Murray and that's his name he's just just such a great guy to talk to so of course I scratched his uh, scratched his brain that's not even a phrase is it picked his brain Scratched his brain, picked his brain about uh, topical issues such as you know the the Harry Kane incident. I mean, I think I mentioned it uh, in the chat with Al, but for this to fall on Harry Kane is just, I mean, it's a serious thing, but it's also fucking hilarious that a guy that can barely articulate himself suddenly finds himself at the the centre of this uh, this civil rights issue. It's just you just look into Harry Kane's eyes and you go. I don't think this guy has the mental faculties to kind of talk his way out of this one. Uh, but we speak about uh, the World Cup. We also speak about Brexit. There's been a sort of rise in the discussion about potentially having a different deal with Europe and a Swiss-style deal or, you know, and got lots of holes in it. That was a cheese gag. Didn't really work. I promise the interview is better than that. So we speak about that. And then we also speak about Al's brilliant new book called Command, which is about the sort of generals and personalities that helped change the uh, change the course of the second world war and listen i know loads of people of all genders and ages are into the second world war but let's be honest a bloke my age in and around my age blokes like us i mean it is it is absolute fucking catnip isn't it uh the second world war there's two things i never want to stop hearing about cricket star wars tits uh, <laughs> god that was childish and and the second world war i mean and also it didn't really make sense hearing about tits I don't know. Seeing them is definitely better. But anyway, um, so we're going to crack on because it's such a good interview. I want to make as much time for it in the show uh, as possible. Um, David Domain, Domain Talking Point from last week. So the show went up last week late. I don't know if you guys have downloaded it yet. Episode 173. Um, it's with the, it's, we, we catch up on a lot of political stuff, but we also have a half hour section on it uh, for the Man Whisperer. And uh, David says, I hope you're keeping well. It's nice to hear the Man Whisperer back on the podcast. For what it's worth, I enjoy these episodes. I think those that moan about them might be able to benefit from the Man Whisperer's advice. Yeah, I mean, I hope it didn't put you off seeing that because I know that we spoke about kind of mental health the other week. But the chat I have with Kenny is so accessible. And I think some of the best jokes that I've done over the last few weeks were Kenny making grown-up, serious philosophical points, and then me making knob gags. If you're into that, if that's the way you like to get your kind of like counselling, then then do go back and have a listen to uh, episode 173. Uh, in terms of new Patreons, uh, so just a reminder, uh, board level members, um, you and people that signed up for the Jeff Norcott and Friends gigs, 25th of January and 2nd of March, I have a list of your names and I hope to be getting them. I'm going to try and get those to you by the end of next week to just uh, give you an idea of what happens next. Of course, you're free to go and buy tickets for that. And then also board level members, um, your gift 
as I've said, I think it said last week, uh, it's being processed, it's arrived, and it will start being dispatched. And that I hope to get to you before Christmas. So the benefits keep coming. And then for all Patreons, I mean, obviously for VIPs, when we do the online show mid-January, uh, still pinning down a date for that, you'll have guaranteed front row access if you if you wish to have it. And then all Patreons will have access to view the gig. Um, I just got to say, Fair play to David Smith. I said last week about one of the benefits of patrons, and I said, don't send me dick pics. And he sent me pics of dicks, but they were like, I think, Dick Cheney, uh, Richard Nixon. <laughs> so childish, but worth it. Uh, new patrons we've got. We've got uh, Dan R. Dan R. Dan R. You just sound like one of those guys in his late 30s. Uh, maybe works in marketing in Shoreditch, rides around on a tiny little tricycle. Dan R. Yeah, Dan R. Yeah, what's your surname? Don't worry about that. People just call me Dan R. Uh, Dan, when you say people, do you mean only you? Yeah, I'm Dan R. Wear a beanie hat. Why are you wearing a beanie hat, Dan? I'm just Dan R. Just, you know, very multicultural. You know, I don't. I never eat off plates. I haven't eaten off a plate since 2011. I only eat off, like, slates or, or, or chipboard. <laughs> uh, welcome, uh, Dan R. We've got Janet Jackson. Fuck off. Your name's not... Well, I guess that's... That is quite a probable or possible name. Janet Jackson. I mean, it's a cool name. Janet Jackson. How's it been for you, Janet Jackson? I mean, because Janet Jackson, I mean, something about having a Nancy brother that really has um, really has affected her career, must be said. <laughs> and then her tip popped out, didn't it, at the, um, at the Super Bowl. I don't know. If you think, like, the things involving celebrities now, that doesn't, I don't know why that affected her career so much. It's like, okay, it's a weird family. Allegations of nonsense. A fucking nipple. On te- I tell you, I don't want to see that woman. Do not darken my television again. Underrated Janet Jackson, though. Rhythm Nation was an absolute banger. Um, God, I, I can't really say words like that, can I? It was a very good song. And then we got Bill True Love. Bill True Love. That, you know, it's such a cool name because it does things that good names often do, which is it combines the everyday with the exotic. Bill, I mean, Bill's your mate, isn't he? Bill, Bill the Butcher... Bill True Love, what? This guy's a fucking enigma wrapped in a riddle, isn't he? I remember I dated a girl briefly called Dominique Smith. She had like a French first name, but she was called Smith. It's fucking. I um, well, I, I dated her. I think I think I snogged her twice. <laughs> I think I saw it as more of a relationship than she did. Okay, let's do a thank you and a fuck you. The thank you is to audiences for being so cool. I mean, as much as the online social media environment is just full of shit and nonsense the whole time, you do a gig and you're reminded that people are and have always been cool. I did a gig in Spalding last Saturday and um, there was a woman in the audience, right? I mean, that that for anyone who knows comedy, that is where the story starts to go. Not, not the women shouldn't be at comedy, but there was a woman in italics in the audience, a little bit of a white wine werewolf. She was a bit drunk. And the problem is, and, and people who've never been to comedy find this hard to credit, but women are much more problematic more often in comedy because the blokes, right, mostly they'll try and take the piss. You put them down, they take their medicine, they shut up. Every, you know, once every three years, one of them will throw a pint glass at your head, but the frequency within that is very limited. But a woman, if like she says something, you insult her. She doesn't care that there are 300 people in that room. It's just you and her in the room. Everything else falls away and she's just not having it. No one speaks to her like that, right? And this woman, she was rude to the compere. I think he was from uh, Macedonia and, uh, you know, obviously spoke great English. I mean, he's doing comedy in the UK, very good comic. And uh, she said something like, your English is shit. But, I mean, that's obviously a really unpleasant thing to say anyway. But the irony was it wasn't and hers was. 
She went, I'll just say, you know, being a Brit generally, even if I wasn't completely sozzled and, and, and speaking uh, in sort of incoherently, speaking other languages is not a strong area for us. Historically, can we just say that? I'll just tiptoe around that little one. It's like, you know, where we get our stuff from in museums. You just think, well, let's just not go near that subject. And so he dealt with her and then I went on and she was still popping off, you know, like you mentioned a subject, like I mentioned a subject about me not doing enough housework. And obviously as a comic, the way I'm going to treat that subject is I'm going to deal with my own laziness. But she's used to do more. Yeah, that might be the point of the, the routine, love. And then I mentioned boob jobs. And she said something about boob jobs. And I just said, I hope you have one and that they're so big they suffocate you to death. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, and everyone cheered. In, what a brilliant thing in comedy that you can say that and then people cheer. I mean, it's like those Twitter things or those social media things where they say I was in a Starbucks and I had an argument with a stranger and I and I said, trans rights are everybody's rights and everybody cheered. You go, well, that didn't happen. In comedy, it does happen. And I just it's just a beautiful reminder that most people are grown-ups who like a laugh. And the fuck you is to all these lefty types on Twitter. And sorry for making this Twitter-centric, but I think that it is interesting. Is ever since Elon Musk bought the website... He's, he's, well, frankly, just gone, you know, he's gone in very toxic in that he wants his employees, you know, especially the ones on six-figure salaries, to do stuff and maybe to pay for their lunch. <laughs> and the way this has played out, well, the way this has played out online is astonishing. You'd think that the geezer was putting him in those old slave ships, you know, the long boats with the massive oars where they'll be, like, he's just asking them and, and, and to come into the office twice a week <laughs> instead of once a month and to pay for their fucking lunch. And this is what reminds me, there are, there are people on the certainly the social media online left that genuinely seem to think that Twitter should be like some sort of national utility. It doesn't matter if it's making losses. Well, how can something be that massive and make a loss? And, um, you know, some of their hypocrisies come into view recently where, whereby, you know, Trump got banned for Twitter after January the 6th. And a lot of the discussion then, you know, should that be able to happen? A former president being banned from such a huge social media space, and particularly when it turned out the Taliban had an account. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of the lefties there, they were just hiding behind the idea of, uh, well, you know, it's, you know, it's a private company. You know, it's, just, uh, it's just a private company. They can just do it. I still I remember that argument being used when, you know, um, you know, social clubs back in the day weren't letting people who weren't white or women. It's just a private company. It's a private company. It's a way of saying I don't wish to have that, this discussion because it's tricky. Now Trump's been allowed back on. Well, well, guys, it's just a private company. They can do what they want. They can have Kanye back. They can have Trump back. It's like we're getting the old band of nutters back together. <laughs> okay, let's crack on with the main bit of this show, which is uh, the welcome return of Al Murray, otherwise known as the Pub Lord Al Murray, but now... Uh, an author of a fantastic new book uh, called Command. Uh, I'll speak to him about that. But first off, uh, we start uh, with a little bit of politics. I'll just nick Ben Elton's catchphrase then. Okay, making a, a welcome return to the show. Well, I mean, I'd say welcome for me. I don't know about Al Murray's <laughs> been doing podcasts all morning, but welcome back, Al. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you are here, obviously. You've got this book out, uh, which is called yeah. Command. And uh, yeah. I can say with absolute sincerity that about 20 pages in, I went on Amazon and ordered it for a family member because I thought, yeah. You know, you know, with a book, <laughs> not enough is said about books, about how many decisions you make early on, right? Are you like that if you're reading a book? First 50 pages, what does it take? Yeah, 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 yeah. Very often, just the sort of introduction, you go, yeah, I know, I know he'll like this. Yeah. yeah. Send but, it to but, him. But on a personal level, I mean, have you ever like yeah. have you ever like not finished a book? I mean, what does oh, it yeah. take for you to to buy a book? Is it cover first five pages and blurb? Uh, sometimes it'll be a review. It's usually word of mouth, or sometimes it'll be like it's a thing I know because because I do all this so much history stuff. The thing, the thing I know I know I need to read about. Um, so I'll I'll have a look at what's available and and and, and plump for one. But I do not finish a lot of books. I, there's, I've got an <laughs> awful lot of books I have not finished, and I tend to you know I'll I'll pull the bit out that I need if I'm really yeah. trying to put an idea together. But there are lots of books I've there are lots of books and books I ought to have finished that I haven't finished. And then there's a whole lot of books I never ever will read. Like you you you're never you're not going to see me on a lounger with Jane Austen. That is not going to happen. I'm just picturing the physical manifestation of that. You <laughs> you and Jane Austen. That was, that, was a, that was the book that she never wrote, wasn't it? A Dirty That's Weekend a... Away with a Pub Landlord. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the idea also. Pints, pints and Prejudice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great book and we will come on to it. I mean, just just as Thank a you. sort of teaser, the one thing I love about it is, I think we spoke about this last time you were on, is about hitting that yeah. age where the, all you really ever want to read about is the Second World War. <laughs> uh, and, and there was this there was this phrase, what was it about a, 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 an a peelable onion? There was something, there was it that's... Yeah, it's like a basically, you, know, the, 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 it's an, you can't peel the onion. You just can't get to, the, you'll never get to the centre of the onion of the Second World War. Just the, the more you peel it, the bigger the onion gets. It's amazing. It's a, an incredible topic. Well, it sounds also a bit like a weird fever dream, but in this context, I think that in terms of creating content, thank God, for, as I've said it before, thank God for Hitler. I mean, the amount of content oh. we need to... Someone put up a oh. statue. Um, okay, let's get... <laughs> well, then then we'd have to... Th- I mean, the thing is, then we'd have to throw it into a water feature, wouldn't we? You yeah. Know, that's the, you know, and I, 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 think, I think maybe people would like to throw a statue of Hitler into the canal so maybe I mean, that's a reason for putting a hitler statue up I mean, I, that's a thought experiment no no i do wonder about that there's a lot of you know there's been a lot of talk about twitter at the moment and left-wing people sort of deserting it and i'm going you all realize that this is batman versus the joker right we all sort of need each other and are we actually robbing future woke generations or progressive generations of the statues to throw away this is incredibly selfish yeah or make statues out of cork so <laughs> so that they float and then you can fish it back out and do it again, you know. I mean, so many things in life you only do once, don't you? Now you now they've pushed that yeah. cost. Now the cost of touch has gone in the water. Can't do it again, can they? No, you no. Know? Charge for it. Monetize. That's what we need to do. We're in economic <laughs> trouble. Um, oh, sp- you're such a Tory. <laughs> speaking, speaking of uh, economic cynicism, um, yeah. the, the World Cup, I mean, I don't know if, you, if, if you're mm. bang into it, but um, I don't know if at this point you, you really need to be to, to know the issues. We're, we're talking the day after. Uh, I mean, this does sound weird, doesn't it? The day after Harry Kane didn't wear uh, an armband. And I've got to say, of all the people in history that it fell upon to make a moral stance, Harry Kane didn't sort of scream out as being the guy did he well and then the iranian team didn't sing their national anthem and then they'll be in a lot they'll be in a lot more trouble for that yeah. I, I imagine yeah you know than than um than maybe getting a yellow i mean the thing <laughs> is the thing that the truth is is the russian the world cup in russia was just as should have been just as knotty with these yep. same issues but 
But, um, you know, the social discourse in this country hadn't arrived at that point yet, mm. hadn't quite got there yet. You've also got that prevarication on the uh, uh, in bits of the left about Russia because they, they think some of them think it's still the Soviet Union, so they can't they can't they can't bring themselves they can't bring themselves to do it. You know, like um, it, it, you know, it's Molotov Ribbentrop Pact all over again. Um, uh, the, 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 you've got that. You've got that. St- but, but 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 you know, by the World Cup in Russia, they'd invaded Ukraine, hadn't they? You know, they they'd already taken the Crimea. The um mm. the, the Russians. So well, hold on a minute. You know, and I think it's an interesting, there's obviously been an interesting, uh, or, or, well, I mean, dispassionately it's interesting, shift shift in people in the discourse and their involvement in it that, that wasn't present during um, the, the World Cup in Russia. This, the, you know, this mm. is what, but this is what World Cups are like. I always think when people, when you've got the UN and, and Iran is chair of the Human Rights Commission and people go, how can this possibly happen? Well, that's because that's what the world's like. Mm. There's an ideal world. And then there's the world that we actually live in, which is the one we need to sort out rather than the ideal world. You need to the, the, the world the world that maybe you need to address is the one that exists. Yeah. And the UN the UN is a the UN holds up this horrendous mirror that means that you get Iran in charge of women's rights for mm. six months a year or whatever. You know what I mean? But that, yeah. that, They're that, called the United Nations, and it's actually a place for people to to meet up. Disagree and walk out and, on and throw shapes and, at each other yeah. about stuff. Yeah, yeah. For 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 public consumption at home generally. So so I mean it's you know I, I just I think it's interesting that the world the World Cup, you know after all, I'm not really a football person and um uh, uh and the thing, the point of football as far as I can tell for blokes is it means mm. they can talk to each other without having to talk about anything else. Yep. So they don't have to talk about their feelings. They don't have to talk about politics, religion, their wives, <laughs> their families, how shit their job is. Um, whatever they could, they could talk about Arsenal, Chelsea, and the the gap is filled. The void. But is somehow filled. this World Cup has made us talk about all those things about women's rights. Well, exactly. Well, exa- jobs, but that's my, what, but that's, workers. But, but that just shows. But that just shows there's some sort of football malfunction occurring. Yeah. <laughs> you know, football isn't enough, um, uh, or is being, you know, is being elbowed away from its its uh, actual function, which mm. is to blot out those other things. I think uh, you know that's interesting in itself. But I mean, it is. I mean, into this you know, so show. I, Political maelstrom steps, um, Harry Kane, and and I just, <laughs> I mean, like I don't want to knock his oratory skills, but he's no Harvey Milk, is he? I mean, if if and then and then this thing came out was was they they, they didn't want it to be. Uh, to get, you know, because there might be bookings that would mean they were suspended for the first knockout stage. And I honestly thought, yeah, okay, I get that that's what you would tell the public. And then Harry Kane gives an interview going, no, that re- that really is the, the reason. I was going, dude, say something else. Say yeah, that yeah, someone yeah. visited your hotel room later. Not Well, you probably couldn't say that. I mean, that's yeah. also dodgy, yeah. but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is peculiar, though, because... I don't know if, I, like I say, in Russia we weren't talking about this, mm. but there, there wasn't the, the discourse wasn't at the point where you had to wear an armband and 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 all that um, hadn't got there yet. You know, I think we were still fighting poppy wars with Irish footballers um, uh, in the in the in the, the great in, poppy in the, wars. The, yeah, you know, the, we the, we the, weren't we hadn't taken any knees yet. Yeah, I mean, this no, is no, 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 no. The knee had, the knee had not been taken. But again, you think what's going on in Iran? Right, mm. it is of of a completely different order, and and yeah. where the stakes are so much higher over over things that we think are much more sort of um, rudimentary rights. You know what women can wear. You know, um, it, 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 I think it also makes it all look without without being uh, my mm. dad all a bit trivial. 
You know. Yeah, I mean, and also the, the nature of the protest, what I was sort of thinking was, okay, if, if there's this argument, look, we, we're having it in Qatar, they have a different set of cultural, political, legal values, we should respect that. Go, okay, I think you should still be able to wear a thing that indicates what, what you think. Well, it doesn't seem well, like a great leap. Our traditions, uh, currently, our traditions of um, uh, wearing armbands, they should respect our traditions. Mm. We've, got to, we've got to go there and respect their traditions. They yeah, we respect, respect the law. Could we just wear a fucking armband? It's not like Harry Maguire and Jordan Pickford are going to be copping hold of each other just outside the centre circle. It's <laughs> it, it wasn't. And 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 what what were the potential consequences for? Then are they going to bang up Harry Kane? I don't think. Well, I mean, that, I mean I that is a move, isn't it? I don't think they're they're ready to make that move, are they? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think. We, you know, the the the. the... <laughs> the Qatar Hilton or whatever the prison's known as. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's it, yeah. I, the thing is though, the thing is is though I do, I do work. You know, I sort because of, I've also met uh, you know recent weeks I've met people who are not talking about the World Cup like this at all. Right, they are not mm. having this conversation. Can't wait to go. It's going to be brilliant. I've got tickets for ten games. Can't wait. I've just got a lot of them. I don't care what they are. Oh, but I've managed to cop England Wales. That's brilliant. Mm. I'm looking forward to it. It's really exciting. And that is the extent of their, um, you know, uh, mm. the, uh, conversation about the World Cup. Another friend of mine is he's going to be going out, and, you know, um, for later once the once the um, you know the the heats are out of the way. These rounds are out of the way. Yeah, can't wait. It's going to be brilliant. Love it. World Cup. World Cup. Love the football. World Cups are good. You see how oh, that's the thing. And you're like, mm. and he's not. He is not engaged in the. These guys are not engaged. He's not in the in discourse. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. Because because like, football for them is performing its function. It's blotting. It's blotting. It's and it's also out. happening. And this is where I think the World Cup could grow in popularity. I mean, I'll be honest. The first goal went in. I was like, and yet I still feel like we're losing. Fourth goal went in. I was like, England. You know, I, I'd certainly change my mood a little bit. And it is a World <laughs> Cup happening uh, in the, the sort of bleak recesses of November. It's a shitty bit of the year, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Halloween's gone. Guy Fawkes night. It's gone. It's a while till Christmas. So, so you know, and then there's a result today, you know, it's involving Saudi Arabia and Argentina. That's the kind of result that drags people in. So maybe you're right. Is actually what most people think really in the real world is that, well, yeah, they probably should have worn it, but probably let's crack on with the tournament. That probably is the predominant well, view. I mean, the, I mean, what's interesting though is, is that, is that, the, you know, this has been coming a while off this World Cup. I, you know, when did they get? When did Qatar win the bid? And yet, it seems that the, you know, that that the, the people around the England team are, are still making up their minds on the hoof that they didn't mm. work out what they were going to do. And I think it's also interesting. You know, you you could argue that the European nations where these where where, where wearing the armband is a cool thing to do could have all gone to FIFA and gone, we're all going to wear it. By the way, what are you mm. going to do? Mm. Kick out Germany, France, well, Italy, absolutely, Italy aren't in it, but you know, kick us all out. And then you haven't got a tournament. I mean, it's the sort of um, it's the spinelessness. Given mm. you know, if they'd thrown the tournament together last week, and this was the England England establishment reacting to what's going on, fine, fine for being a bit headless about the whole thing. But this is, you know, yeah. this has been in the diary for years. For and, and, and the One Love initiative came from football. This isn't something yeah. that, that has yeah, been pitched yeah, yeah. to football. They've made, and this is where it perhaps sticks in the craw for people, is that football has recently transitioned. I'm just throwing buzzwords in. Yeah, uh, football yeah. hasn't transitioned, you know, uh, but... It's become a sort of vehicle for social justice. So that's the problem, isn't it? And then from my point of view, if you essentially take in the knee, which is indexed to race relations, are you then saying, well, we can do that because they'll let us. But, yeah. you know, another group of society, we won't do that because... They won't let us. They, they won't. 
They won't let us. I mean, can you imagine some of the other great moments like Rosa Parks going, well, I'm not, I'm not sitting in the front of a bus. They might invalidate my travel card. I mean... Well, it's, yeah, it's kind of... Uh, the thing is, the thing is, though, is it's, is it, you know, in politics, we've got cakeism, haven't we? It's been the, mm. the, one of the big things that's been kicked around is the idea of cakeism. And it's a little bit like in, there's some cake, there's been some cakeism in football. And now, and now actually, you're not allowed to do the thing. Oh, well, we won't have our cake. We, we, you, you know, mm. the minute, the minute there's any pushback, because there was I never mean- going to be proper, proper pushback here. People being rude on Twitter isn't pushback. Being mm. told you might, or, you know, get a yellow card and not make the next round. That that's pushback, isn't it? Within football, yeah, I, I, I would imagine that the organisers of FIFA were probably going, Jesus, I didn't think that was. I, I would imagine that they would have thought that there was a second chapter in that, and and who knows, there might be the England team might. Well, there may be, there may hmm. be that it may be that there's a decision to sort of, I mean, you know, uh, uh, to you could you could say grow a spine, but I just I just don't know because the thing is, is football is football is so evidently totally bent, right? Hmm. Um. And this is me speaking. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not into football, so I'm like, I think I can say that because I'm outside it. it doesn't it doesn't mm. matter to me? Doesn't does? I don't wake up at night worrying about Brentford. You know, um, <laughs> I mean, there are people that do that. I understand, um, but <laughs> um, but but you know what I mean. So so it doesn't it doesn't affect me to go. Well, the whole thing's entirely bent and polluted with cash and distorted mm. by the money. It doesn't doesn't feel that doesn't feel like a difficult thing for me to say so to see it play out like this isn't particularly surprising i mean and, you know cynicism this all on all you know the whole thing's drenched in cynicism isn't it basically on all sides well like i say you know these podcasts stick around for a while by the time people listen to this harry kane may still be languishing in a Qatari prison for, for crimes <laughs> against the state, sort of becoming a weird LGBT uh, Nelson Mandela. Uh, you mentioned uh, <laughs> you mentioned politics there. Let's have a quick chat about that. I just want to p- pick your brain a little bit because I think you are very fair politically. <laughs> one of the uh, one of the rare sort of comedians that's able to view things reasonably objectively. And and lately, <laughs> you know, in the face of undeniable uh, economic drag from Brexit, other things, but yeah. you know, it's there. Yeah. Um, we've yeah. seen the resurgence of talk of a Swiss style deal. We haven't had this yeah. for a while. Style deals. Remember Canada Plus? Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, days- and, and and Britsland is what Boris at one point um, was saying in the run up to. Before he was prime minister, you know, and, and actually the buck stopped with him. Yeah, I mean, I mean, only Boris could come up with a thing that you, a TV producer, would suggest just because it had a good name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's good at he's he was he was good at that, wasn't he? That was yeah, the thing yeah. he was good at. Yeah. yeah, he could he could have definitely been an AP on a light ends format. But I mean, it is it is interesting. I mean, I I, I think you know, as someone that voted Leave but wasn't really an ideological Brexiteer, is that. With the Eurozone going into recession, with us next year, you know, contracted. Yeah. I think more cooperation is an absolute piece of low-hanging fruit, isn't it? Well, you could argue that the very first thing that the British government should have done uh, the day after the Brexit referendum was like the big embassy in Brussels to try and figure out what was going to happen next and to make sweet love to everyone in Brussels because it was going to get difficult after that. Because, you know, you, you exit the thing, you've got to figure out how you're exiting. I think one of the things that's happened, basically... Is that if you uh, and, and I don't I don't subscribe to that because I mean one of the things I think that's remarkable was remarkable about the referendum result was after so many years of quite a lot of poor coverage for the EU that it was as close as it was I think it's mm. really fifty two forty eight is close right mm. and given that if you read British newspapers for the last forty years you would you would have been fairly certain that the EU was a terrible thing right. Mm. 
So why was it so close? I don't know, right? But that's striking in itself, right? But I think, I think what, you know, and the, the problem is, the pro I think the fundamental problem is, and the trust government, the trust people, they went out in the open with this, where they, where they wanted to go Singapore on Thames, you know, mm. cut taxes uh, uh, um, and all that stuff, right? Is that they finally said what it was that they wanted out of Brexit, finally said it out loud. Mm. Whereas what you'd had, and in the Brexit vote, you know, more money for the NHS. On the, and I don't like the whole thing about the fucking maths, right? But more mm. money for the NHS, um, more control in your life, so a better relationship with your local politicians. And so, so essentially, I can see why people voted for what sounds like social democracy, mm. which is more money for the NHS and better democratic involvement with the government, which is what that, what the, what the leave pitch in public was, was in fact, an awful lot of Leave people who, who were saying that because what they wanted was Singapore on Thames, right? And so that's, that, you know, there's no mystery as to why Red Wall people voted for Brexit, because if mm. it's about spending, you know, what's the thing that Blairites used to say is, is it was about, you know, um, more money for the NHS, more money for nurses, hang the pedos, was the basically the, 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 the triangulation, you know. It's not, it's, it's Law and order, you know, yeah. I mean, you know strong I mean, defence, right? strong defence spending. There is right, and yeah. and I think I think you, if you look at Brexit through that prism, um, you can see why people voted for it, right? Mm. Um, but that's also why if you're trying to still trying to deliver it, and you're still hung up on on uh, if you're the ERG, for instance, so hung up on questions of sovereignty and trade deals, and not wanting to do deals with anyone, which in the end seems to me like. Uh, really unrealistic really really fundamentally unrealistic and also what's sovereignty for if it's not for using and you mm. use your sovereignty to do deals with people because you've got the ability to do those deals it's just sort of it just it, it, I, i've got a bit of material in my show at the moment mm. um where i i do a whole thing about brexit and, and the pub landlord's disappointed in brexit and the reason he's disappointed is because you can't we can't do it again because it felt so good that, <laughs> it felt so good that morning to wake up and say we've done it <laughs> Right. We can't do it again. Right. Yeah. And I get the feeling there are people in the sort of Brexity bit of, yeah. of, of of parliamentary politics, because after all, this was a parliamentary politics question that then got put put to mm. everyone through a referendum. That the, the, Their annoyance is they can't do it again. Best bit of their lives. Best exactly. bit of their they lives. Want... So like, you know, being at summer camp and teens and staying up late. Getting, exactly. Getting drunk. And it's, it was Christmas Eve, wasn't it? it the, exactly. the day that the, the vote landed was Christmas Eve and the rest yeah. of it was Christmas Day, which is always a disappointment. Well, oh, now we're, and now it's December the 30th or something, right? Mm. And, uh, you know, or the 29th, you're right in the bars. But the, the thing is, is <laughs> I think there's a whole load of them. They just want to do it again. So when the idea of Switzerland came up, got floated yeah. lightly this week, no, 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 we can't do that. Because they just want to do it again and again and again and, and, and prolong the feeling. Whereas, in fact, at some point, We've got to seriously address what we're going to do about the enormous market that's on our doorstep that just geographically is only 20 miles away. And, and, and the same, but, I think the same for the EU to a point, because the luxury yeah. oh, of, yeah. the, of the macho posturing is kind of yeah. like COVID's washed that away a little bit. I mean, yeah. I think that, you know, the polls have moved quite decisively in one direction for now. But there is yeah. there is this, you know, it is only 36 months since we properly left. Um, I yeah. just have a bit of an issue with, if you go, all right, well, well, people have changed their mind now. Let's have another referendum. Yeah. And then when they change yeah. their mind again, let's have one there. Yeah. Let's just hokey-cokey the fuck yeah, but, out of this. But, but parliamentary politics, no parliament's bound by a prior parliament. 
It's mm. interesting that referendums uh, somehow sit extra parliamentary in, in our conception of that. I think that's that's what's interesting is that, mm. you know, although, as we all know, in our con the, the consensus that still exists. I mean, I think one of the things that's really interesting when people talk about politics, when they talk about Tory plans for the NHS, um, uh, they want to destroy it. Well, they're, they're taking their sweet time over it, um, <laughs> selling it off and dismantling it completely. The, no, no. Parliamentary party in this country could stand up and say we're abolishing the NHS first January and expect to win a single seat. No electoral suicide. We can't even if you think about things that are guaranteed vote losers. Neither of the parties are even willing to look at the triple lock and the fact that a quarter of pensioners are living in households of net worth of over a million. Neither of them are going to do it. But I mean, it is. It is. I've always, always thought that with the Tories uh, destroying the NHS. Um, do you remember the old Batman shows with Adam West? Is this yeah. the end for our Cape Crusader at the end of every episode? You go, well, obviously yeah. not. There's, yeah. They've just commissioned another series. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, and, and and you know, although although it was baloney, all that talk of going to build fifty hospitals, whatever it was, you know, that, that's that was Boris looking for people's funny bone. He wasn't saying we're going to shut fifty hospitals mm. because I hate the NHS because wah ha ha ha, I'm an evil Tory, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it um, you know. He, he was many things, but he wasn't that stupid. Okay, I hope you're enjoying the chat with Al there. Um, and I hope what you're hearing in this podcast is the beautiful... Can you hear it? It's the beautiful sound of no adverts. Now, I know almost every single podcast you listen to will have advertising on now. I have just chosen not to go that way. And uh, look, you know, I don't know how my agent truly feels about that, but I... I, I like it. I like it like this. I'd like to stay this way. Obviously, there is pressure from me as the podcast grows bit by bit in audience, but I think it, I think it's a cool way to do it that I don't suddenly have to go. Oh, you know, um, you know, when you're sort of sitting and working from home, sometimes you get piles. The new, I tell you something, guys. The new uh, the Pattinson pile driver, um, which is a new pillow from Pattinson. It's just I don't know. It's just the best pile cushion I've ever had and look I mean look, this is an adverb I'm being genuine I'm being genuine here the Patson pile driver I mean I mean I know this sounds like a slogan but uh it certainly drove away my piles <laughs> um live gigs next year um look out for tour dates I'm in discussion about the tour um you can also sign up to the mailing list I think if you're on iTunes it is in the details so it, I understand if, if finances are tricky and the and the Patreon isn't a thing that you can do but if you just uh, go or if you look at the, the podcast details at the bottom there should be links and there's a mailing list and if you sign up to that you'll get first news on tour stuff uh, you'll also get access to watch I think my 2018 tour show and uh, that way if Twitter does fucking collapse under the weight of trying to make any money uh, I can still tell you when I'm going to be doing gigs alright let's get back to the chat with Al So, uh, your book, Command, um, how long has it been out? It uh, came out in uh, mid-October, second week of October. Yeah, so sort, of, sort of six weeks, five weeks. And given it's a military thing, and without, I've just realised I'm yeah. about to sound like a local radio DJ, but uh, <laughs> what I, I actually wrote this question now. What, describe the mission of the, of the book, the mission. Ah, well, it's simple, really. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the Second World War, when you look at it, is, it's an amazing, there is a simple, amazing story, which is the Allies... Um, and principally Britain to start with, because the, the American situation is a little bit different, but it sort of happens to them in the forest as well, are crap, um, really, really, really bad and get off to an appalling start, right? And somehow, you know, when you consider what, 
you know, Dunkirk, what happens to Dunkirk is masked by the miracle of Dunkirk with the evacuation mm. with the with the little boats, although it's mainly the navy off the mole at Dunkirk, blah, 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 all that sort of qualifications, historical qualifications. But the but the but the reason that you've got to have the miracle of Dunkirk is because the British army has made such an horrendous mess of things, and the French army has too, that they're being expelled from Northwest Europe, right? It's an ignominious defeat of the of the mm. highest order. And four years, only four years later, you know, um, uh, so 2018 to now, only four years later, D-Day happens. The Allies invade Northwest Europe and the British Army by that point is this sort of all-consuming, crushing war machine mm. that is also brilliant at learning from its mistakes and course correcting and outthinking the enemy and out and how the how the hell does that happen because four years earlier they basically can't tie their own bootlaces and they can't in 1941 either and they can't in 1942 it's not till the end of 42 that things start to turn around in in west in the western theater then in the eastern theater it's not until 1944 that the british get their act together how is how the hell does mm. does that happen Especially as we're so down on our institutions now, the way we view our institutions now, how on earth is that? How, how do you do that? Yeah, how do you how do you turn a failing thing around? Um, yeah. There was something that you said in the book which I thought was interesting. You characterise uh, the complacency going into the war. So was oh, that God. complacency about sort of Germany's ambition or, or ability to to counteract if they if they were Both. to to attack? Both. So complete lack of basically. I mean, what's interesting is the Chamberlain government, you know, uh, appeasement is famous for its appeasement of, of Germany's uh, foreign policy ambitions. But it's kind of constrained by the fact that Germany, to start with, is saying, well, that bit of that bit of Austria's Germany, really, you all know that. Come on, let's admit it. And the Austrians want want to be part of Germany, too. Come on, that bit of Czechoslovakia, that's German, really. Come on, you know, you all know that. And post League of Nations, self-determination of peoples, you can't really argue. And there's mm. there's enough inertia in the British political establishment to go. You know what? We can't really argue with that. We're, you know, um, we're, it, we're, they've got a. He's got a point, right? Mm. And then when and then and then after Czechoslovakia, where, uh, where Chamberlain is essentially made a fool of in public, he's got rearmament going properly. And there's a there's the British economy is run on this basis in from 37 through to 39, where you try you're trying to rearm as much as you can without just bending the economy out of shape, not overheating it and taking engineers out of consumer goods and all that sort of stuff. So there's, so, so, but there, and this is an attempt to deter the Germans, not actually to fight a war with them. So to, to go, look, we, mm. you know, you come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. And then the Germans do do a thing that means there's a war. So the British establishment is confident enough to declare war in 1939, but it has absolutely no idea what it's letting itself in for. What the how serious the Germans are, how mm. how figured that, and the Germans the Germans are often credited with having done all their thinking, but what they've actually done is mobilise their population really really successfully, and in the end mm. it comes down to mobilising. If you want to fight, it's about mobilising people, and we're seeing this right now, where the it appears that the Russians aren't very good at mobilising their soldiers, whereas the Ukrainians are very mm. very good at it, and are also on the receiving end of lend lease like we were in the Second World War. Lots of kit coming from America to kit them out. They're very well mobilised. They've got the shit together in terms of, um, uh, it appears, tactically and strategically, yeah. so they know what they're doing. And, and they're, they're double-hard bastards, can we just say that? It's, it certainly oh, appears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't oh, know yeah, if that's yeah, the military yeah. term for it. But, oh, no, uh... it absolutely. It's one, but it's also that thing, of, you know, there's one way to make people feel Ukrainian, I imagine. It's invade Ukraine, you know. <laughs> yeah, if you yeah. want to galvanise people. I mean, it's like the Blitz. It becomes, what's very interesting about the Blitz, for instance, is I think it's... Um, 
you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the allied, allied bombing of, of Europe, you know, dwarfs the German bombing of, of Britain by, you know, like, by a scale of sort of 40 to one, something like that. That's a mm. figure plucked out of my hat, and I'm sure a listener will correct me. Yeah, but, but by the end of the war, we, yeah, well, we've God, gone I mean, much further well, than they've No, gone, but yeah. even by, by 1943, it, you mm. know, you look at what happens in Hamburg in July of 1943, where they kill as many people in Hamburg as are killed in the Blitz in the whole of the Second World War in Britain in, mm. in one night, right? Wow. And, and, you know, so the application of force that the Allies have, by, by, but basically the start of the war, it's completely complacent. It's like the, the, they're, they're also convincing themselves that basically the German generals will go, you know what, this isn't worth it. We're going to lose again because we're taking on Britain and France, two big empires, we're going to lose again. So the British the whole time are expecting the German establishment to collapse and get rid of Hitler the whole mm. time. Um, and that and that that never ends during the whole of the Second World War. They're expecting that to happen, that basically the German establishment to come to its senses. And it never happens. I mean, um, good, good thing we didn't do that with Russia and Putin, eh? Eh? <laughs> He's going to die. <laughs> they're, going to, they're going to have a coup. They're going to have a put. Oh, uh, Something's well, going to no, happen. No, but it's the same. It's exactly the same thinking. It's the same mentality. Mm. Because because after all, what what happens is you tend to judge the side by your own um, uh, uh, values and parameters. So, mm. you know, from our perspective, what Putin's doing is completely irrational. So so he's going to stop doing it because it's irrational. And, the, mm. and there's, that, there's that feeling in the British establishment. And certainly the British army in 1939, 1940, is basically go, has told itself it's ready for this European war. It's not because what it actually, what the British army actually is, and here's another parallel with today, is an imperial gendarmerie. Its job is to put out border wars um, mm. in uh, on the Afghan border or in Africa where there's trouble or in Malaya if there are rebels. That's its job. Um, so it doesn't have a so so one of the things the army starts off with is it doesn't have a central doctrine, a way of doing things. That's left to the that's left to the major general for when he gets to wherever to figure it out when he gets there. Right. And you see that in the pattern of the way Britain fights its wars in the 19th and early 20th century. So the Boer War is a good example where the British get there, they're given a runaround and and a real proper kicking. Mm. But because they have the resources and the time, they then figure out how to beat the Boers and and crush well, Steve, them. There's a phrase you used that involved blunder and calamity. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, still, well, the, so what you end up with. Yes, it's, it's all blunder and calamity, that what, what the British do. But they, there is a central policy that, that they've got in mind the whole time, which is a thing called steel, not flesh. And the idea is you're going to use industry and your industrial might to fight the war rather than people. And you're going to keep as many people as you possibly can in your factories and make mm. the stuff to take the war to the enemy rather than get a load of people killed like in the First World War. Because, you know, it's a, the British Empire loses a million dead in the First World War. It's incredible you know and, the, mm. and they're doing they're moving he heaven and earth to make sure they don't do that again and then so into this you sort of place these personalities yes. um, at, at the heart yes. of the book um the and the, these generals these people that found unique yeah. ways of achieving things and yeah. one thing that's interesting is you have an, an ability and i think that all comedians have this and certainly the very good ones do is how do you package an idea and sell it to people because that is yeah. that is what we're touting every single time right oh, that's it yeah 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 and you use this quote and i can't remember sorry if it was it was it a spike milligan quote which is if you want the truth go to a comedian you know how yeah. how much do you think when you're doing these things to do with history <laughs> Uh, and, and, a, and, a, and a book how much does your comic instincts play out because you know you start with Monty and that is such yeah. a comedian mindset is right gotta get him on side early or early yeah. doors yeah. who does yeah. it who does everyone know the, the Monty yeah. fella and I mean it's brilliant yeah. the stuff about uh, Monty but but does that inform the way that you you come at history 
absolutely. I mean, the thing is, is I read I read an awful lot of history books. Like, um, you know, this office is full of them here, and some of them are very well written, and some of them are not. They have <laughs> the information I require in them, and they're interesting in them. They're interesting in what they're telling you, but they're not written to be read in an entertaining way at all. And so I, I, I very much, very consciously came at this from the point of view of like, you know, I'm an entertainer, and history, history is a, a branch of entertainment. Um, despite what, despite what sort of uh, the dusty people might tell you, it is, it is. We are yeah. a wing of the entertainment industry, certainly in popular history, certainly Second World War history. Um, it, you know, that's why you, that's why you think you're buying this book for for someone you know because because it, it's entertaining. It's a great story, well told. Well, well, and that's what, and, and that's what you try, you know. Stand up the joke in a way. I mean, in a way, in stand up, I can write jokes, but it's how you put them across and how you sell them and how you string them together and how you thread mm. the how you thread the, the 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 needle and all that. That's the hard part. That's the difficult bit. And one of the things I had to do for this book was come up with a prose style that that you know isn't the isn't the pub landlord. You know, it's not like no. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's really accessible. And also as a comic, you know. That you know, sometimes a knob gag uh, will, will engage the masses, and and this is not a knob gag as such. But for me, you know, the the prevalence of VD in the oh, war yeah. and, and the effects. I mean, there was this stat from the First World War was that it caused like, over four hundred thousand hospital cases compared yeah. to seventy four thousand trench foot. I mean, yeah. and, and 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 I suppose the interesting thing with with Montgomery is is how not if is is it progressive how he how yeah. he just accepts that and tries to work within those parameters yeah, he absolutely is and it's and it's pragmatic and mm. it's he understands his men he knows what they're like they're perverts he knows what, filthy he knows what bastards. they're going to do particularly when they're bored because the big the big problem in 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 the autumn of 39 is there's nothing happening germans have invaded poland the allies have decided to do nothing about it so they're all sat there and they're they're mm. bored they're bored bored witless and he's obviously thinking of the first world war because he was a staff officer in in the in uh, in the First World War, so knew what was going on under the bonnet of the army. I mean, the other thing that's interesting about that statistic of the four hundred thousand men hospitalised—that's the people who admitted to having veneer. <laughs> Some of them, their knob just fell off, and they blamed it on trench foot. Well, well or, or, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and Telling their missus, "Oh, it's the trench foot. It was the trench foot. I swear, I swear, the god just fell off one day." As they all I spoke don't know in the where first my feet have been. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I put my knob in a trench. But the, 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 the thing is, I mean, the thing is, is that there's 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 a lot of debate about those stats about how actually reliable they are for this very reason, you know, because because there's another yeah. st- statistics that the Americans the Americans do this stuff. Of, they survey their men about fear, right, and how their fear manifests mm. itself, and, and 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 all this sort of stuff. And those surveys are really really interesting because they're also you've got to read them in the context of the 1940s when men were men, right, and they're not mm. going to say I shit myself every time um, we come under fire. Whereas that's fairly common, right? Because it's terrifying, yeah. and and so all these stats also in themselves tell a, a have another story wrapped around them. And the you know the the, the sexually transmitted disease uh, infection rates for Italy at the end of the war are absolutely sky high. And there's a there's a historian who, who believes that in the in the Eastern Theatre, in the Pacific Theatre, basically everyone had syphilis. Basically everybody, <laughs> everyone in the American Navy. Army and Marine Corps. Essentially, everyone had syphilis. I mean, I mean, you can sort of see right? why you can sort of see <laughs> why Septa Padre. He, uh, I mean, you, I he mean, had more, gonorrhea. He had gonorrhea. So it's a more, it's more noble STD. <laughs> uh, there was, a, there was a, a memorable phrase that's used: is a uh, horizontal refreshment. Yeah. Is, that, is that one of Monty's phrases? That well, that's is Monty's I mean, phrase. Yeah, yeah. He, he. So he writes. So, so, 
So this, what I do in the book is I use people to illustrate different phases of the war and when, you know, the corners are turned and all this sort of stuff. And I use Monty in 39 before he's Monty. So he's, when he's Montgomery, he's a major general. He's mm. one of the sort of guys who no one wants to sit next to in the mess because he's going to talk shop, right? He really yeah. is that He really is that bloke. He's completely obsessed. His wife died in 37 and he becomes completely monomaniac about it. And she was an artist, sort of bohemian, mm. and would put on plays with him and all this sort of stuff and got him out of himself. And then she dies tragically and he like shuts himself down completely, sends his son away to some relatives, shuts himself down, becomes an army man completely. And so in 39, he's given command of 3rd Infantry Division. He's brought back from Palestine. He's given one of the, you know, top divisions to train at, at command. And he writes in November 1939, he writes a memo to his men, to his officers saying, the men are going to go, are going to want to have sex. You need to make sure they're clean. You need to send them to the approved brothels. The French police will know. And he uses the expression horizontal refreshment, which I like. I think it's quite good. <laughs> it's and so all, British, isn't it? It's at so that point British. And it's so, and it's so also like, you all know what I mean, chaps. It's got that mm. in it, you know. The and, old and, horizontal uh, refreshment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, then he, and then he also, but the, uh, I think it's quite interesting because then he also, he, 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 he uh, added a poem by one of the signals, someone from this, which he says is from the signalers this poem um, about about um, the men wanting to have sex. And what's weird about that poem is it also, the poem seems to know what's in Monty's memo. So I have a suspicion that mm. he, I think, and it's <laughs> un unknowable and unknown this, because it's because it's yeah. some signed anonymous or X. I have a suspicion he wrote that. Um, uh, uh, and so it's got, and it's got fruity language in it. But basically what happens is that the, the head chaplain and the head, um, uh, a Catholic um, priest in the British Expeditionary Force demand his resignation. They want him fired for using the expression horizontal refreshment. They think he's gone too far. It's foul language. And, well, it didn't and, go far enough. They're like, that's a bit euphemistic, mate. Just go straight banging, <laughs> hanging out of the back of. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, and that's what's so, uh, it's amazing. And he's he really is one of their best people. He's a he's mm. a, a, an unsufferable git, but he really yeah. is one of their best people. And that they're prepared to, you know, he has to be rescued. Goes to the adjutant general, who is the guy, who is the person who makes the appointments in the army through all the lobbying. It goes to him to have him fired, which is sort of, which is just amazing that their attitude to this war is, oh, you know, yeah. he said something, he said something fruity. So he might be really competent, but he's got to go. And and he, fortunately, he's rescued by his corps commander. It's a guy called um, uh, uh, Alan Brooke, who, who who then ends up chief of the imperial general staff in the war who then acts as a shield for Montgomery for the rest of the war, mm. protects him from controversy for the rest of the war. I mean, it's interesting, you know, just one last point on this before we move yeah. on to a couple of letters from the patrons, is yeah. you're reminded of, of the fame of generals, about how they build profile. There's other people you speak yeah, yeah. about, how, how they cultivate the media. And it sort of seems odd, but then you think, I mean, Chris Whitty was a meme for saying, next slide, please. So I guess when you're at war, and some of these guys knew how to work the angles. There was yeah, a guy, yeah. was it Ord Wingate, who essentially oh, yeah. led a fairly catastrophic, uh, failed mission, yeah. but worked yeah. the angles when he got back, like basically like Alistair Campbell. Oh, he's amazing. Ord Wingate is absolutely amazing because um, he's famous, he's the bloke who conceived the chindits, and the, it's it's this thing called long-range penetration, which, you know, for now, for now, but it's the idea that you send a column of men up a river in Africa, or uh, and it's an old imperial technique. You, you, you send a load, load of guys up a, up a, up a river, up in a column, and take on the enemy where, where you find them. 
at great distance and you do it through endurance and toughness. And, and he was also going to add air supply to that. But Wingate basically was a brilliant networker and a brilliant and absolutely phenomenal salesman. At, at the real zeal of a, of a, of, of a you know, a, a, of a true believer in his own brilliance, right? And so he's able to convince, I mean, he, he does this first chinted operation where he's convinced the guy in charge that he can do this thing. Um, mm. And in training his men, invalids, tons of people, because he's training the jungle, the jungle's really bad for you and loads of people get terribly sick, but he's allowed to do the operation anyway. And he puts the, op 2000, he takes a couple of thousand guys into the jungle. At the end of it, he leaves, he leaves, I think, 600 behind or something, killed and wounded. And then of the men he gets out, and he, and he basically, he says, right, I'm off now. Every man for himself, you head home. So it's not great leadership, right? He scarpers back to India. When he gets back, he expects to be court-martialed, right? Hmm. But, but he's then able to find a couple of journalists and spin it to them that he's done, struck this amazing blow at the Japanese. He's conquered the jungle, even though... Yeah. 600 of his men are so sick from what's happened to them, they are never able to go into combat again. It's like, it's so, it's so irresponsible, but he's able to like, he's able to sort of um, laser lock you, well, put the head beams on you and get well, what we've worked with We've worked with comedians on that who where <laughs> we've seen them die on their ass, and then they come back and they do a little, little bit of green room spin. Yeah, they were nice. They were smiling. They were liking yeah, it. Yeah, like, yeah, All right, yeah. if, if smiling and liking yeah. it is good enough. I mean, yeah. look, I, I think that there'll be so many people that will be fired up to get this book. And, you know, the way that you spoke about it is such a great representation of, of how it oh, strikes you. you. So, so do get online and buy that and obviously give it a, a, a great review. Yes, that would be terrific. Let's do a couple of letters. So these are from my yes. board level patrons. Uh, these oh, these are the top the top tier patrons. And so I put it out there that I had you on the show. I had a lot of responses, but I picked out um, a couple. Um, one is from this guy. So this one came in a bit late, but I'd really like to get an answer for you on this. This is from yeah. a guy called Paul Millman. So he says you were involved in some kind of uh, competition with him, right? Paul Millam. He says, can you ask Al? If enough time has now passed for him to feel able to come out and admit that he cheated me and my team, Pedlo Potemkin, out of a well-deserved vic victory in the crisp-off decider on his show, Compete for the Meat. He knows that I ate more crisps than my opponent and that he held a load of hers back in the bag when he tipped them out. I make no suggestion that her being fit had any bearing on his decision to cheat me out of a win, but it does add context. As you can tell, I'm, I'm over it and bear no grudge. Cheers. So, If only there were stewards to have an inquiry. <laughs> So it, is it is it is it that this this other competitor was an attractive woman, or did you realise that that good telly need to be made? What what it's happened? Entirely, here? Can... It's entirely probable that um, he was up against an attractive young lady at this juncture. Yes, see, That's this is how the healing probable. begins. This but the pub landlord, the pub landlord, is only flesh and blood, right? He's yeah. he's, a, he's just a, he's a man and he's weak like everyone else, but in a position of power. So what you know, you should have eaten your crisps quicker. You should have eaten your Chris group. It takes some fucking responsibility, Paul. And also, I, I get, get the sense that Al Murray um, sort of apologised, but he, the, the pub landlord is completely unrepentant. No, he can't, he can't apologise. Never apologise, never explain. This is from uh, Kevin Fawn. Uh, he just says, I, I would love to know how you react so quickly when doing audience participation. I'm sure practice comes into it, but do you ever remember a particular time where you've just been stumped? You know, where someone's just said something, I guess it would be... Yeah. Prob I'm guessing, but something so fucking odd that yeah. you just... Well, no, I, I, I tend to... If I do run into something that's basically impossible, I just sort of... I, I kind of do... I, I'll do a bit of flubber, then I'll move on. So they don't they don't stick in... They don't stick in my head. Mm. Um, cause the, because the whole way that works is by being 
it's by pushing it and pushing and being relentless. And, you know, if you find a thing you can sit on and have fun with it, but then you're relentless with it within that moment. So, no, I can't think of a, I can't think of anything that's ever really, that's ever really well, completely banjaxed it. Well, what you, you, know, you, what you do get though, is the guys that, that think that they're smart, that come to be oh, willfully obstructive. So they go, uh, my name's Nobby and I'm a gynecologist. That, oh, that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. I suppose, that's all often boring. What do you do? A bit of this, bit of that. And you think, oh, no, 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 no. We're, 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 yeah. we're, let's play rather than, you know, because it's because it, in a way, it's the thing that people say about, you know, uh, improvisation is it's that thing of saying yes and, isn't it? That, that, mm. that when you Don't do block. improv. That, exactly. And if they block, it's just like, we're not, you know what? This will be a lot more fun if we if we play rather than get stuck. I mean, I, I you know, the last gig I did was in, so uh, last weekend I was in Dublin. And it's absolutely brilliant, like when people play the ball properly, right? There's a guy who goes, What do you used to goes, what do you do? He goes, oh, I'm retired. So what do you used to do? So I used to be a sergeant in the Irish Army. I'm like, big pause. Publand all of his oh, I didn't realise there was an Irish Army. Well, <laughs> apart from the one apart from the one I've heard of, right? And the whole room, but and then you've then you've, un, you've we've managed to get to that subject without yes. having to get to the subject. And then the yeah. whole thing unlocked, you know. I go, is that that army where the people are in charge of it? Claim it doesn't even exist, you know, <laughs> nothing to do with it. And you, and you, you're not even, you've not got to say it. And it's when that happens, yeah. they're playing, you know, you're playing, you're playing, you're playing together. Listen, out. I know, I know that you're a very busy man. It's great to have you back. Uh, Total pleasure, Jeff. Uh, remind us of the book, where, where we can get it and where we should be leaving reviews. It's called Command, How the Allies Learned to Win the Second World War. Um, it's uh, published by Headline and it's um, uh, in bookshops. It's online. There's an audible version, which is me reading it, which is, I think, quite good fun. Um, mm. uh, ideal for anyone you know who's got the slightest whiff of Second World War interest. I mean, that is a lot of blokes that listen to this. I podcast. know, I know. Come on, lads. <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Al, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hopefully, see you soon. Total pleasure. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, that was. I just loved that chat. Could have gone on for ages, but Al, you know, he's a busy man. I appreciate him coming back on. I think pints and prejudice. The fact that he just, the fact that he just thought that off the top of his head. It just, it's just, he's just a comic genius. You know what I mean? His ability um, to ad lib. You know, I was properly laughing throughout that chat, and the fact that he can also turn his hand to to history. So before it seems like I'm climbing too far up his ass, just just buy the book. It's a really, it's a really good book, and that was totally genuine what I said about getting it uh, for a relative and enjoying reading it myself. Uh, there are no new reviews to read out, so uh, if you do enjoy the podcast, if times are tricky financially, if there's one thing you could do, if you could do me a solid, is this: go on, leave a five star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and recommend it um, to a friend and um, look as I say you know with the World Cup it's tricky isn't it because morally it's fucked but um, there's not much else happening in November is there so um, let's let's hope that if the World Cup is going to be morally fucked that at least at least we can win <laughs> if we win it will there be like an asterisk after it they won England did win eventually win a World Cup again but um, it was the morally fucked one anyway look have a good week I'll see you next week